Good morning. Our scripture this morning is taken from John 13, verses 3 to 17, and you'll find that on page 763 in the Red Bibles in front of you. And in this passage, we're going to find Jesus alone with his closest and most trusted friends. He's had a week of very public ministry, but the verses just before, just before we'll read indicate Jesus knew that his time was about to come. And so we have a sense of urgency in this passage of Jesus wanting to spend those last few moments and days with his loved ones and giving them what they needed. So starting at verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord... Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put, his clothes, put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Gathered over the Passover feast around the table, it would have been, uh, everyone would have been keenly aware that someone needed to wash the other's feet. It was their custom. Their feet were probably caked with dirt. But the problem is, that the person that washes the other's feet is considered the least. And so there they sat with dirty feet, trying to determine who among them was the least. And then Jesus takes a towel and a basin of water, and he redefines what greatness is. And he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Over the last few weeks, we've been working through a series on spiritual disciplines, and we've called it Habits of Grace, and we've been using a metaphor of a, of a sailboat to help us understand what we mean when we start talking about spiritual disciplines. And uh, last week, Matt reminded us, this is not about working hard to earn something from God. There's a quote from Dallas Willard, says, God is not opposed to effort. We don't need to be afraid of effort, but what God is opposed to is earning. 
And so uh, it's not about how much we're going to earn before God, but it's about proximity to God. It's about saying and agreeing with the psalmist, whom do I have in heaven but you, God? I need you. You're the one I need for life. You're the one I need for the Christian life. And so to engage in the act of spiritual disciplines is like working hard to prepare the sails of the boat so that when the wind of the Spirit blows, we're in tune with God and we're moved by God and we experience the power of God in our lives and we're moved to deeper waters with God. And so this morning, we want to look at the discipline of service, of serving one another. So as we get into this, let me pray. And so God, we come to you as the powerful one, as the one who reigns in heaven, but as we just read, the one that comes to earth and who washes our dirty feet, what comes as a servant, not to be served, but to serve And so, God, as we consider this discipline this morning, as we consider the topic of service, would you help us to fix our eyes on you? Would you help us to allow your grace in our our life to humble us, to see you differently and to see everyone around us in the way that you see? So, God, we need your help this morning. We've got busy hearts. We've got hard hearts. We've got hearts that are focused on ourselves, and so we, we need your help again this morning. Open our eyes, help us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> In some ways, I think we'd probably prefer uh, Jesus call us to great acts of sacrifice. And in a lot of ways, he does do this. He does call us to great acts of sacrifice. But there's something adventurous about radical sacrifice. There's something... There's something exciting about what's going to happen when we give all of this up that is a little bit appealing, if we're being honest. If we forsake all of this, maybe there's a chance we're going to go out in glorious martyrdom. But in service, in serving each other, we must experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. And to live as a servant in a sense, banishes us to the, to the trivial, to the mundane, to the everyday life. And that's not as exciting. There's not as much appeal in that call. That every day you die this little death to yourself to serve and bless the person around you. Anyone who's ever worked with chickens, and you might be surprised to know that you're looking at someone who's worked with chickens before, <laughs> uh, If you've worked with chickens, you know the idea of a pecking order. This is not just an expression that we use, but this is something that's real, that chickens actually peck at each other to establish an order of dominance, an order of authority, an order of power. And the young chicks from a very age start pecking each other when they're around food, and the strong ones become apparent and the weak ones become apparent, and they're ordered in such a way. But I would suggest to you that pecking orders are not confined only to chickens. I think it does not take very long for a group of people to come together and a pecking order is established among us. You know, we look at things like income, we look at things like appearance, we look at things like social standing, and whatever little status symbol that exists in our particular culture, 
We use those things and we create a little bit of an order among ourselves. We do it in the church. We do it in our family. We do it in our groups of friends. We do it in the workplace. And you might say to me, Jeff, that's so high school. Us mature adults, we don't do that anymore. And I would say to you, you're kidding yourself if you think you've grown out of the comparison game. We might not be as blatant about it. We might not show our insecurities so uh, openly, but they are there in our hearts. And we see it come out in the smallest ways by where we sit, how we talk to each other, who gives way when people are talking. We see it who steps forward and who steps back when jobs are offered. We see it in the little ways, this pecking order that exists among us. And Jesus comes in Matthew 20, and he says, You know the rulers of the Gentiles? They lord it over them. They, they lord their rulership over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, Jesus says. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' point isn't that we should do away with leadership and authority. Jesus works with authority. He talks about authority and leadership all the time. It existed in the the disciples that he had following him. But what Jesus dismantles and what he has, wants nothing to do with is a pecking order system to establish leadership and authority. And it says that spiritual authority is not found in position, it is not found in strength, it is not found in title, but spiritual authority is found in the towel. And so there are several times in the Gospels where you look and the disciples, they actually get into an argument. And I'm someone that loves a good argument. And it's in those times that I wish we had a few more words as to what was, going, what was going on. And one of my favorite arguments the disciples had was in Luke chapter 9. Luke 9.46 says, An argument started among the disciples as to which one of them was the greatest. <laughs> Wouldn't you have loved to have overheard that argument? Such blatant pride. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Probably none of us have been in such a blatantly prideful argument before. But I would suggest that that is often the subtext of our conversations and our interactions with each other. Who is the greatest between us? It goes down deep into us. Self-righteousness goes down deep into us. And if someone were to ask me, To associate an animal with self-righteousness, I would have to choose the weasel. I don't think anyone would ever ask me that question, but if they did, (laughs) I'm sure the weasel is the best animal to represent self-righteousness because self-righteousness has a way of weaseling its way into even the most humble acts of service. It can sneak its way into our motives. And the discipline of service, although is can be one of the greatest acts we can do to humble ourselves and bring ourselves low and to position ourselves rightly before each other, there's also such great potential when self-salvation enters the picture, our self-righteousness comes in and we just become even more hard-hearted to each other. So I just want to take a few moments to talk about 
self-righteous service and what that might look like in our context. And I got this list from, from reading some books, but also because I can probably relate to each one of these myself. So self-proclaimed, self-righteous servant here. <clears throat> self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal. It's concerned with making gains on the scorecards of the people around them. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish between small acts of service and large acts of service. And probably a true service is more inclined to small acts of service because, not because it's more humble, because that's genuinely the more important thing to do. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. Richard Foster says this, Self-righteous service requires external rewards. It needs to know that people see and appreciate the effort. It seeks human applause with proper religious modesty, of course. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. It eagerly wants to see if the person served will reciprocate in kind. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. It will devise subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. True service rests contented in hiddenness. The approval of true service comes from the smile of their Father in Heaven, not the smile they see on people's faces when they realize what they've done. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. It sometimes serves people because it will like what their affection on them will, will gain them. Sometimes it, self-righteous service will serve people that are low because the image of serving people low is really nice for our self-image. Sometimes it withholds service because it's calculating all the time, what have they done to me? What have they done for me? We're told in this passage that Judas had already planned to betray Jesus and was among the disciples who Jesus washed the feet of. And so if what someone is doing keeps you from serving them, you have a higher standard than Jesus does. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. It only serve when it has the feeling to serve. Justifications are made from my previous record of serving. I've done my duty. I'm tired. I don't feel like doing this. True service simply and faithfully acts because there is a need. It knows that the feeling of serve can sometimes be the hindrance for true service. Service disciplines the feeling to serve, not the feeling of serve disciplines the service. Self-righteous service is insensitive. It insists on meeting the need, even when to do so would actually be destructive. It demands the opportunity to help. True service can withhold service as easily as it can conform it, perform it. It is fine waiting silently, waiting to serve or not. Self-righteous service fractures community. Once all the religious decorations are removed from our acts of service, it's obvious that self-righteous service centers on the glorification of the individual. Therefore, it puts others in debt and becomes one of the most subtle and destructive waves of forms of manipulation. 
true service builds community. It quietly and unpretentiously goes about caring for the needs of others around it. Self-righteous service is always has to do with the motive of the heart. And so we need to keep doing the internal work, keep bringing our heart to the grace of God, allowing God's grace to conform us and change us. But we also need to discipline ourselves in this. So we're talking about disciplines this morning. So this isn't just about how am I working my internal heart. This is about what can I practice. Dallas Willard, who's another uh, spiritual disciplines guru, says this. He says, Not every act that may be done as a discipline need be done as a discipline. I will often be able to serve another simply as an act of love and righteousness without regard to how it may enhance my abilities to follow Christ. There certainly is nothing wrong with that, and it may, incidentally, strengthen me spiritually as well. But I may also serve another to train myself away from arrogance, possessiveness, envy, resentment, or covetousness. In that case, my service is undertaken as a discipline for the spiritual life. To be proactive in serving each other is a way to confront, to launch an assault on our envy, on our arrogance, on our possessiveness, on our resentment. All of these things, we have the opportunity to attack in a way by saying, I'm choosing to do this in my life. I'm choosing to look around and have this lens and to make this part of my routine intentionally as a way to, to dealing with what I see inside my heart. So what are some ways that we can serve each other? There's probably, uh, the thing that we most immediately think of is the service of small things. You know, it's the, it's the practical helps of cleaning up. It's the doing the dishes. It's the taking the garbage out. It's cleaning. It's signing up for meal trains. It's f- fixing someone's car, helping someone move, giving them a ride. It's these small acts of service that these, these helps are all around us and we start asking people. Christian comedian Tim Hawkins uh, has a funny bit on this, and he says, I hate it when people say I have a servant's heart. He says, when someone tells you you have a servant heart, they're saying, go stack chairs. (laughs) That's what it means. He says, when someone says you have a servant's heart, they're saying, you're a pushover and a loser. That's what that means. (laughs) And it's a really funny bit because his commentary on Christian culture and uh, all that. But I hope that we can never get to a place where we diminish the power of and reduce the significance of small acts of service in each other's lives. There's this neat little story in Acts chapter 9. This woman named Dorcas, which is funny. (laughs) Dorcas is her name. She's died, which is not funny. (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. There's good news. She's raised from the dead, so it's all right. She's died. Peter comes. And he's going to perform this miracle. And as he goes up into the house, into the room, it says in verse 39 of chapter 9, it says, All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. They're around her body weeping because of the countless acts of small things that this woman had done. And they're grieving her loss. 
We don't always feel it or appreciate it in the moment, these small things, but there is tremendous power in community when we add up all the small acts of kindness that we can do for each other. Richard Foster says, in the realm of the spirit, we discover that real issues are found in the tiny, insignificant corners of life. But I think there's also a lot of other ways that we can serve each other. There's a service of guarding the reputation of others. What would it look like in your circles of community if you refused to allow any person to speak despairingly about another person to you? How would that change the level of trust in the room here or the level of trust in your workplace or in your home or in your circle of friends? That we serve each other by guarding and saying, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm not going to participate in that. There's something very tempting and satisfying to our own ego to allow that kind of talk to happen, but to say, I'm going to serve this person and my whole community by saying, I'm not going to let that happen. kind of service creates deeper sense of love and trust and community, and it has all kinds of ripple effects. There's a service of being served. I think we've all had the experience of wanting to serve someone and and them insisting that they pay you back in some way, that they don't allow you to just serve them and say, I'm, I'm going to repay you for this. And I think there's a, in that moment, there's a sense that they're robbing us of something. To let someone serve you can often be an act of humility, and refusing it can often be an act of veiled pride. When Jesus began to wash the feet of his disciples, Peter's first reaction is, no, you can't do that to me. You can't do that to me. And I don't think it was so much that Peter was so tremendously humble, but this was an affront to Peter's concept of authority and status. And so to let someone serve you is actually an act of submission that recognizes their kingdom authority over you. We don't have to play these games of keeping track of whose debt we're in because they've served us and now we owe them. There's nothing wrong with paying people back, but that can't be the motive of our heart. There's a service of listening. Just listening to each other, taking time for each other. The beginning of love for another person is learning to listen to them. I think it's one of the smallest ways that we can serve each other is by slowing down in conversations and just hearing what people are saying. And you're looking at someone who has to do that very intentionally. (laughs) That is not something that I'm I'm thinking about this and that. Most of the time when you're talking to me, just so you know. <laughs> but to, to serve someone, to love them and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm here. I'm present with you. I'm taking time for you. We'll never learn to truly bear each other's burdens if when we ask, how are you doing? We don't actually take the time to listen to what people are saying. When we serve each other in listening, we grow in compassion We grow in patience, and that will have effects in how we listen and talk to God as well. There's a service of hospitality. There's a desperate need for Christians to open up their homes in our present post-Christian culture. You're going to hear more of this 
in the coming weeks and months. And we really believe that this is a primary way in which the church needs to engage culture, is that we are known for our hospitality. We live in a time of busyness and shiny hotels. In the time of Jesus, days moved by slower. People didn't go to the Best Western or the Hilton when they went to a town to travel. They stayed in people's homes because that was the only thing that you could do. I'm not saying it's bad to stay in a hotel. I'm saying that we need to be intentional about finding room for showing hospitality to our friends and our neighbors because we have a culture that does not make it easy to do that. Sometimes I think we make it too complicated thinking this needs to be cleaned up and this needs to be elaborate and, you know, I can't be in this mood because then they'll see me in this way. We forget that the primary purpose of hospitality is to just be with each other. Say, I care about you. I think the temptation, <clears throat> and I know I feel this as well often, is to start playing the game of they've been invited there, they've been invited there, they're taking time for them, and your focus becomes me-centered and not other-centered. Who can I invite? Who can I care for? Who can I see that's being missed? When we all have this perspective, we'll find that we're all being cared for in a lot better way. Matt spoke a lot about this last week when we started thinking about community. <clears throat> if you listen to the words of Peter in 4 verse 8, he says, Above all, <clears throat> love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others <clears throat> as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. When you start looking for it, you will see hospitality begin to pop up everywhere in the New Testament. It's a primary role of Jesus' ministry. It's a qualification for an elder. It's a way that the church needs to engage culture by serving them. <clears throat> Peter continues in 4 verse 11, he says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We can serve each other by speaking the words of God. So whoever speaks, let, me, let him do so as, as one speaking the words of God. I think one of the best ways we can serve each other is speaking into each other's lives. We are dependent on each other to receive the full counsel of God. And that is equally true for within the church as it is in your conversations outside of the church. And we could have a whole conversation, we could do a whole message on evangelism, the spiritual discipline of evangelism, and I think it ties into this greater theme of serving. We're serving our friends and our neighbors by speaking the words of God to them. And this is where we start to see the, the spiritual disciplines start to come together in harmony. How are we supposed to speak the words of God to each other if we're not in the Word? If we're not praying? How are we supposed to speak the words of God to each other if we don't have deep relationship with each other? We're not taking the time for community. And connection. There always seems to be this tendency to be really strong in words and or in acts or really strong in words. 
And in the ministry of Jesus and in instruction, the apostles, these two things are always tied together in perfect harmony. We serve and we speak. We speak and we serve. And all of these are in a posture of service to each other. I love how Peter describes us in verse 10. He says that we serve each other as faithful stewards of God's grace. Did you catch that in the middle there? We serve each other as faithful stewards of God's grace. To steward something means we look after it. We take care of another person's property. We are saved by God's grace. We are saved by God bringing together in perfect harmony his word to us and his action towards us. In service, he not only spoke words of truth, but he came as a man and he laid down his life for his enemies in the greatest act of service in history. And to serve each other is not to muster up this graciousness in ourselves and to say, I really, really don't want to do this, but I'm going to find it deep within me because there's some part of me that's good, I know it, and I'm going to bestow this upon the person. No, to serve each other is to go deep into the well of grace that has been poured on us. It's to manage and to look after this tremendous amount of grace that's been shown to us through Jesus. And when that is our focus, when that is our, our, where our attention rests, where we say, <clears throat> all in, no matter what I'm doing, I'm fixing my eyes on the cross. I'm fixing my eyes on the towel. And out of that, I serve and I love. When we take this seriously, when we start being intentional about this, when we can wake up in the morning and say, Lord, as it would please you, would you bring me someone today that I could serve? We'll see tremendous transformation, not, in our, not only in our own hearts, but in the communities that we're in. Let's pray. <clears throat> and so, God, uh, I... I'm just so aware of my own self-righteousness, so aware of the ways I smuggle in selfish motivations to acts of service. And so, God, I'm reminded again how desperately we need you. How desperately we need you to work in our hearts. So, God, would you keep on not making our failures so present in our mind? Would you not help us to center on how we're doing this poorly or what we've done wrong, would you, would you help us focus our thoughts, our attention, our gaze on the cross, our gaze on Jesus not only washing the feet of his disciples, but hanging on the cross as, as an act of service to us. So God, would you keep filling us with this? Would you keep on filling us with grace? You want to steward your grace well, God. And so would you would you help us to start seeing the people around us differently? Would you give us an eagerness to serve each other? Would you help us to see people in new ways, bring people into our lives that we can serve? Would you do this not only in this church? Would you do this in the, the workplaces represented here, in the friendship groups represented here, in the community of Virgil? God, we want to 
keep on being obedient to you. And, and as we go from here back to our homes, wherever that is, God, we just want to be obedient to you in this. So would you, would you help us? We pray these things in Jesus' name.